Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're with us for the President's Day edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Happy Monday. Hope your week is off to a good start. Jim, we have a special edition of the Three Martini Lunch today because, of course, it is President's Day. When you and I were kids, we basically celebrated Lincoln's birthday and Washington's birthday. And then somewhere along the way, we decided that all the others were somehow worthy of attention, too. Every president gets a trophy today. Uh, we still do it in uh, February because, of course, that's the birthdays for Lincoln and Washington, as well as the great Ronald Reagan. And, of course, as I love to point out every year, also William Henry Harrison, who did the least amount of damage, perhaps, of any president uh, since he died so quickly after being sworn in. But today we're, uh, we, we could talk about uh, the presidents we love so much, the Reagans, the Coolidges, and Washington and Lincoln, of course. Uh, but today we're going to look at some other ones that don't get a lot of attention. Um, you're, you're probably familiar with them, but they don't often come up on the surveys of America's best or worst presidents. And so I think it's time uh, to spend time talking about them. And Jim, most of these presidents uh, have been around, I would guess, for the bulk of the lifetimes of most of our listeners. Uh, a lot of them go back to the 90s, so maybe not in all cases, but hopefully folks are, are still familiar with them. And we're in agreement for sure on the first and third presidents we want to talk about here. The second one might diverge a little bit, but President Thomas Whitmore uh, in the 1990s, uh, it's hard to imagine a president uh, facing a more difficult challenge than he did, uh, the the damage inflicted on the nation, his efforts to mitigate that damage from invaders, and uh, eventually rallying essentially what was left of the nation and the rest of the world to a cause greater than their own self-interest was was truly stirring. And I think most folks will probably remember exactly how he inspired those forces to accomplish what was considered unthinkable at the beginning of that critical day in history. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday, but as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night, we will not vanish without a fight, we're going to live on, we're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. Jim, it's hard to imagine uh, better crisis leadership than that. Yeah, and you know the funny thing is, history books, everybody forgets Thomas Whitmore's approval rating was in the tank shortly before that crisis. I mean, I remember watching the McLaughlin Group, and they were laughing at him. And the general sense was that you know that he was uh, not a strong leader, that he was indecisive, um, just the last guy that you think who could handle. Now, even a mundane crisis, much less the invasion of the Locusti race in, in 1996. Um, people thought that he was not going to be a good shot for re-election. People asked what he had done for the average American. Um, and things changed by that November, in, in large part because the average American was dead. Um, and so in light of that, people looked at that and said, well, this is the guy who, could, who can stand up when everything else has been lost. And by, when we say everything else, we mean like 90% of the human race. Um, so again, probably one of the less recognized great American presidents of recent history. President Thomas Whitmore, we have not forgotten you. We salute you on this President's Day. And not only was he not headed for re-election, Jim, but you have to think no American president, or at least you had to think up until that time, could ever be re-elected 
after nuking one of his own cities. I mean, this is a guy who really took a gamble on that. It didn't even pay off, mind you. Uh, it was unsuccessful against the enemy. I mean, yet somehow not surprising he, still- he didn't carry Texas in the 96 election. That was that was not surprising. That's really easy fodder for an attack ad. I mean, to the extent there was still television. Exactly. Yeah, the people of Houston were not about to uh, forgive him for that. Let's move on to uh, presidents that we are considering less successful during their time in office. And here's where we diverge a little bit. So, uh, Jim, you go with President uh, Jonathan Fowler and, uh, ironically enough, his mishandling of a nuclear crisis. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people said he always reminded them of George H.W. Bush. Um, I don't know if it was the speaking style or or just his, his height and stature and mannerisms. Um, but the irony is that he had been elected on a national security platform, taking all these things seriously. Um, and, and things, you know, in, in his relationship with Russia, it looked like things were good. And then, of course, you know, remember the Russian prime minister has a heart attack and Prime Minister Nemirov takes over. And indisputably, things were destined to be tense after that. Um, I think, you know, one of the great ironies that came out in the memoirs after that time was that President Fowler had been going through all kinds of crises and, and preparation training, all, all the kind of training sessions you'd want a president and a national security team to go through in case of a major crisis. No one's ready for Baltimore to get nuked. Uh, no one's ready at the halftime of a, of a football game, seeing the president get rushed out on his way to Air Force One and unable to reach it. Um, look, we all remember those tense hours where things built more and more tense, the belief that uh, the Russians had begun an attack, the subsequent attack on uh, Russian bases, the near sinking of a U.S. aircraft carrier. Um, and look, a lot of people have always said that the original evidence pointed to Palestinians. Uh, and that, in fact, the original plot had been aiming towards uh, Del- uh, Denver and that there was some sort of rewrites in the process uh, of, of what the terrorist plot was. Most of us now look at this. We know it was Austrian neo-fascists. Um, again, I, I, you know, there was a, subsequently a restoration of, of healthier relations with the Russian government. I think it was pretty clear that Fowler was destined to be a one-term president after that. Uh, he did not carry uh, Maryland, which was traditionally never going to be an easy state for him. Um, but this turnout was much lower uh, on account of the fact that Baltimore had been nuked. And, and that, that generally tends to drive down turnout in, in election days. Jim, that was such a difficult chapter in our history because it's almost like every single fear that we had on a national security level just came together all at once. You could almost just add them all up. Uh, I'm going to diverge a little bit here and go with President Bennett from earlier in the 90s, Jim. This is a guy who was also concerned about national security, particularly as it related to the booming drug cartel threat that uh, existed then and and still obviously exists to this day. But back then, of course, you had the massive uh, Colombian uh, cocaine cartels, and uh, they were pushing other drugs too, of course. And back then, uh, there were clear leaders of these cartels. They were out in the open. They were they were braggadocious about their their power and their influence and all the money that they were raking in. Uh, I mean, these guys were basically walking around palatial estates with aluminum baseball bats, just jabbing people in the stomach uh, if they ever dared to cross them. And so. When seeing the impact of uh, all of this uh, horrific trafficking into the United States and even elsewhere, uh, President Bennett, he truly saw this as a very clear and present danger. Understandably launched covert military action to go in there and target uh, those different drug cartels, particularly one uh, that he was most concerned about. 
And then when things went south, President Bennett not only disavowed the mission, uh, he also abandoned troops in the field, which is absolutely the worst thing any commander in chief can do. You ultimately had to get civilian folks uh, from the CIA down there incognito and uh, under the cloak of you know, secrecy to try and get these guys out of makeshift prisons concocted by the drug cartels. It was absolutely ridiculous. And then the cherry on top of this was that the president refused to take any responsibility for this. And not only was he going to hold the CIA responsible, he was going to sully the reputation of the late, deeply respected CIA director, Jim Greer. And that was the last step. His presidency never recovered from that. You know, Greg, there's an old saying in Washington that personnel is policy. And uh, in the end, a presidency rises or falls based on who that president selects to have around him. Um, If you pick someone, and it's not just the big names, you know, the person who ends up being the deputy director of the Central Intelligence Agency, if that person is not on board with what you're doing, everything can fall apart very quickly. Uh, the, The memoir afterwards claiming that the deputy director walked into the Oval Office and, quote, barked at me like a junkyard dog. Um, look, that's that's just not something people are used to seeing in their president. The, the other thing is also like, again, when you think about how Bennett's presidency ended uh, with the deputy director, I think his name was Ryan or something. Uh, John, Jonathan Jack Congress Ryan. Yeah. Testifying. Uh, people remember, look, if there's anything that recent years have taught us, Greg, it's that when a government official testifies before Congress about the president doing something wrong. Well, that's the end of that presidency. Clearly. Um, clearly, things just wrap up that you could pretty much just roll credits because uh, everybody knows how it's going to happen. There's no way the president could just like tough it out and go to a bunker and survive, you know, some sort of terrible scandal. It it just doesn't happen. No, it only happens in the movies, Greg. No, that that's exactly right. And, you know, this deputy director, you mentioned John Ryan, sometimes goes by Jack. Uh, he had uh, almost single-handedly outsmarted Irish Republican Army terrorists not long before that, much to the chagrin of New York Congressman Peter King. And then ultimately... <laughs> And then ultimately he left. <laughs> he was so sick of President Bennett's actions that he moved to Illinois, launched a Senate campaign, and was going to be the Republican nominee against Barack Obama in 2004, but scandal took him out. And so, Jim, there's just never a nice and neat finish to someone's career in public service, it seems. You said people just Google it. It's true. It's all true there. Yeah. As these presidents have found out, as as people like Jack Ryan have found out, life can be unpredictable, but you don't want that to affect your bank account. So whether you want to lower your monthly expenses or pay off that student loan debt that's still troubling you a lot sooner, Earnest Student Loan Refinancing has a solution for you. In fact, if you're still paying the same rate you were when you graduated, odds are you could reduce your monthly payment and save big. Even if you have refinanced before with today's low-rate environment, most people can save by refinancing again. Earnest is the easiest way to refinance your student loans, saving you time and money. Ladies and gentlemen, the sponsor of today's podcast is Earnest. The rest of our words today are not. Checking your new rate can be fast and easy. To start, you just complete a few questions online. It only takes about two minutes and you'll get a personalized rate estimate, all without affecting your credit score. If you qualify, Earnest offers customizable loan terms and no fees. You can even combine private and federal loans, so imagine having just one single monthly payment with one low rate. Already refinanced a loan? That's no problem. You can still be eligible to lower your interest rate again. Plus, the internet loves, and so do actual people, love Earnest customer service. They're rated 9.4 out of 10 on Trustpilot, so you'll always get the support you need. So start saving today. 
Three Martini Lunch listeners get a $100 cash bonus when you refinance a student loan at Ernest, E-A-R-N-E-S-T dot com slash martini. That's a $100 cash bonus when you refinance a student loan at Ernest.com slash martini. Go to Ernest.com slash martini today. Terms and conditions apply. Jim, let's move on to our final president. And I, I think most folks would put this one in the bad category. But as you and I talked about this, there's layers of complexity here. And that's uh, a much more recent president. He was president in the middle part of the, the 2000s, between 2000 and 2010. And that's uh, Charles Logan. Uh, he was originally elected vice president. Uh, and then with the, the terrorists taking out Air Force One, uh, he ascends very suddenly to the presidency in the midst of this attack. Uh, ultimately, he's in charge when the uh, the terrorist attack is thwarted. Uh, unnamed government sources say that perhaps a former president helped him out and perhaps other folks inside the government and the counterterrorism unit uh, played key roles there as well. And then, of course, later on, the very president that supposedly helped him, former president, uh, was uh, believed to be uh, – well, he was assassinated. It's believed that President Logan was sadly part of that. So, uh, Jim, it's an ugly legacy, but I know there's more layers to it that is probably part of the full picture of Charles Logan, if we're going to be fair. Yeah, I mean, if you want to look back in American history at presidents who have assumed the office because of a crisis, um, you know, Harry Truman and the death of, of Franklin Roosevelt – Everyone knew Charles Logan had been appointed to the Republican ticket so they could carry the state of California. He had been in state government for a long time, strong ties to the oil and gas industries out there. And that was the surprise that had put, uh, I believe it was President Keller uh, into office. And that that was a a big change because everyone had thought the preceding president, David Palmer, making history, that he he was going to be secure for a long time. Things, you know, life has surprises. Life is not predictable. Things can change in every 24 hours, Greg. People, for, oh, you know, people remember the scandals. It's easy to overlook. President Charles Logan put a lot of effort into negotiations with the, Ru- the Russian president. Uh, a major treaty that was signed. It was a big ceremony out in California. It was, look, it was a busy day for him. It was a busy day for a lot of people in America that day. But I think it should not be overlooked. Now, people said it's Nixonian. Look, maybe it's that. Maybe it's just the appearance of of, of that sort of thing. Um, The thing that kind of jumps out about Logan, though, is that if, you know, again, this is not someone who was blow dried. This was not someone who was tall and handsome. This this was someone who, uh, when he spoke the truth, you felt like he was lying to you. This is one of those things where people forget this era. America was tense. We'd seen, you know, jetliners blown up. We'd seen assassination attempts on David Palmer, um, a report of a, of a nuclear explosion in, uh, uh, in the Mojave Desert, claims that the bomb had been in L.A. earlier that day, all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, look, this, the Central Counterterrorism Unit was, was very active in those years. People kind of forget why the country might have felt like, oh, we need someone like a Charles Logan in there. Um, now, again... Did he get reelected? No. He, did, he, did his presidency end rather ignobly in a sudden and poorly explained resignation? Yes. That's what happens when you're implicated in the assassination of one of your predecessors. Americans frown upon that. Now, again, I believe it was, was it President Allison Jones who ended up turning to him in a crisis of an advisor. You know, look, that Nixon role as an elder statesman has always been there for American presidents, even when they had to resign in disgrace. So um, it's interesting to see kind of the recurring patterns in American history. Um, and again, if there are anybody who's you know, forgotten this, just Google it. It's, it's out there. 
Yeah, Charles Logan is, is unforgettable. And you talk about now, people talk now about uh, just violating norms that have been established for a long time. I mean, if anybody did that, it's Charles Logan. And that's why he largely will go down ignobly in history. But uh, in addition to finding common ground with the Russians before allegedly trying to kill them, uh, he was also uh, able to successfully neutralize the Syntox nerve gas crisis that was unfolding at the very same time. So not only could he uh, juggle two major issues at the same time, he ended up getting results. We have by far America's most complicated terrorist plot, uh, which I believe was originally targeting the Russians because they were Chechnyans, but then the Chechnyans had been hired as mercenaries by some other faction, and there was some sort of... Indi- it, look, it really makes the JFK conspiracy look simple uh, by comparison. So, you know, hopefully someday historians will be able to sort all that out. Uh, I mean, you, you could read, you could study this stuff for 24 hours straight and still not be sure who, who, who's what and what's going on. But uh, you and I could probably sort through it, Greg, but I think the most important thing that our listeners should know is we don't have time to explain We don't have time to explain. And just like President Bennett, uh, Logan tried to pin the assassination on a fairly low level, although he was highly respected, counterterrorism agent named Jonathan Bauer. And that was also an ignoble part of the Logan legacy that should not be forgotten. So, Jim, uh, we've looked at the good, the bad and the complicated. We hope everyone has a great President's Day and we'll be back with our usual fare on Tuesday. See you then. Happy President's Day, everyone. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us. Please do subscribe to the podcast, leave us a kind review, and join us on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.